0: Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. you for checking out the podcast. Had a great night last night at the CNIB Insight Gala. We'll tell you all about that. It's World Kidney Day. We'll talk to John Bond, a home dialysis patient. Yeti Stewart will join us. She's a home economist. How to follow the Canada Food Guide. And our alcohol series, uncork The Dark Side of Drinking continues. We'll talk about it with Global News reporter Dinah Foxhall, who's on a ride along recently with the Winnipeg Fire and Paramedic Service. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast and now the podcast And right now, I'd like to share with you uh, a wonderful evening that I had. I had a great night last night. 75, 75, 275, thank you. Now 3, 300, now 25. And 325, additionally,
1: here we go. 300, now 25. And 25, thank you. Three fifty-four hundred on on Abdel. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: 425. Let's go. I had the pleasure of MCing this year's CNIB Insight Gala last night at the RBC Convention Center. It featured an art auction, the 20th year for that. We also dined in the dark. We ate our main course blindfolded and CNIB coach Tracy Garvin, who's also a blind marathon runner helped us enjoy our meal without being able to see it. The gala also paid tribute to Jim Goche, who paid for a seeing eye dog named after his late wife but he surprised the capacity crowd by funding a second dog last night named after his mother. Mr. Goche, congratulations.
2: Thank you very much Al. This has been a real great evening. One great cause. And I'm really proud to have been the first one to sponsor the first dog coming in, the Sinai dog, that we've never had this opportunity before in Winnipeg to actually tra- train our own dogs. So tonight we bought the second dog in honor of my mother. And the first dog was named Joycey after my late wife. And now the second dog we bought is named Jenny after my mother.
0: Yeah. Very nice. And tonight, you surprised everybody. You were up there accepting your award, and you pulled out of your pocket a check for fifty thousand dollars.
2: I did that, and it had some conditions that Margot and I discussed, and she agreed. So we made a deal.
0: Yeah. Very good. Well, we know you're a deal maker. That's for sure. Uh, uh,
2: no, it's it's been a great evening, and uh, the, the turnout was just fantastic. And like I say, it's it's just such a great cause. It does my heart good to. To be able to do what I do now, give back to the community because they've been very, very good. The community has supported our family over the years, and it's a real pleasure to give back.
0: You've helped so many great causes in this community. Why so many animal causes?
2: Well, animals was, my wife had a theory. She said, you got to support the animals because they can't support themselves. So we do the animals and the children. And the Dream Factory is another one of our, our uh, causes we support and of course a humane society and now CNIB and it's always been that way we love animals we've always had animals and that was my wife's that was her passion was animals
0: you know people often call me big guy as I said tonight on stage you are the original you're
2: you're shrinking down to nothing (laughs) look at you look at
0: you (laughs) you are the original big guy I'm honored to know you and it is a pleasure to drive one of your vehicles sir. My
2: my pleasure and thank you very much.
0: Mr. Jim Gauthier an incredibly generous man. Manitoba Health Minister Colin Friesen was also on hand more in a bit on an announcement he made at the gala. Vivian Santos, the deputy mayor and Point Douglas councillor, brought greetings from Mayor Brian Bowman in the city of Winnipeg. Hi, Vivian. Hi, Hal. How are you? Have you fun
3: tonight. Fantastic. I this did. Was it was a fantastic event.
0: I saw you bidding just a moment ago on a painting. Did you get it? No,
3: I didn't. I was actually sweating. It made me nervous.
0: <laughs> Come on, more nervous than a council meeting?
3: Uh, yeah, actually, it's <laughs> put a lot of pressure. That's uh, you know, at least council you can kind of just sit there and listen, and this one's are, like horse you feel like a little bit of force, but that's okay. It was fun. I've never done that before. Great cause, absolutely fantastic cause. I mean, uh, Mr. Jim Goche is a fantastic volunteer, and what he just did tonight was uh, amazing. I can't uh, can't express how well that he's been contributing to uh, Winnipeg and such. It's such a great event as well, and a good cause. Good to see you. Thank you, Hal.
0: And finally. I chatted with CNIB Executive Director Gary Nancy.
4: Gary, what a great night. It was an absolutely fantastic night. I don't think we could have asked for anything better.
0: You know, they say bigger and better, and this year it really was bigger and better. I think you're on track to have a record-breaking Insight Gala. You know
4: what? We had uh, close to 500 people in the room. We had a wonderful announcement that took place by the government of Manitoba. Uh, we had an equally fantastic announcement that took place by Jim Gauthier, uh to support our guide dog program in Manitoba. And overall, hell, we couldn't be more uh, more pleased with the way the evening went.
0: I already mentioned the $50,000 for another dog from Jim Goche. Talk about the Minister uh, Cameron Friesen tonight and what he announced.
4: So Minister Friesen uh, was... Uh, uh, from the from the Ministry of Health is supporting CNIB's uh, and Vision Loss Rehabilitation Manitoba, our low vision program. And what people may not know is that 90% of the people that come to CNIB to uh, get services from our organization have some degree of useful vision and so our low vision program and our low vision center helps those individuals make the best of their residual vision and so minister Friesen's announcement tonight uh, is really about how their ministry is going to support the low vision program in Manitoba which will support Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of individuals that come to to CNIB and Vision Loss Manitoba uh, for supports for their low vision. Thanks for involving me tonight. I really appreciate it. Howie, we thank you so very, very much. Thank you for being with us.
0: Gary Nansen, Executive Director, CNIB. It was a wonderful night last night. Thank you very much. It was great being there. Jim Gucci is such an amazing guy. We had a lot of fun. It was expensive. I got a little carried away with the auction. Uh, but it was for a great cause the CNIB. And by the way, the dollar figure on that money announced by the province last night, Minister Friesen at the gala last night, $1.7 million in annual support. This is new funding for Manitobans impacted by blindness and vision loss. It is World Kidney Day. Diabetes and high blood pressure are the leading causes of kidney disease in Manitoba, but there are others, like autoimmune diseases or genetic kidney disorders. 5,600 Manitobans are being treated for chronic kidney disease. Another 1,700 are using dialysis, and one of those people on dialysis is John Bond. He joins us on the phone now. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Glad to chat with you. I know you're about to go on home dialysis, and I know that's fairly new for you. Maybe give us a bit of background on your, your kidney
5: disease. Well, this, uh, the disease that I've got is uh, long-term focal segmental glomerulosclerosis. It's not inherited. We don't know what the causes are, uh, but I, they found that I had this condition about 15 years ago, just with a regular urinalysis uh, as part of a normal physical and they saw a little too much protein in the urine, so they sent me over to the nephrology people, health sciences, and they did some more tests and did some biopsies and said, this is what you got, and let's see how we can manage this from now on with drugs, and that started 15 years ago.
0: So for 15 years, you were kind of able to manage your kidney disease, and then now you've uh, kind of come face-to-face with dialysis.
5: Yeah, so the kidney just gradually... Ceased functioning over time, but the the medications they gave helped slow the rate of deterioration. So it kept me functioning really well. Uh, it was totally without any symptoms at all. Uh, it was a surprise to find this was happening to me. Um, and then, um, so they managed to keep slow, slow, slow the progress. So I was able to finish up work and retire, and then do some traveling and did all kinds of things. And finally, about last December. It, gotten just uh, the kidneys were not functional enough to help clean my blood, and they said it's time to go on dialysis.
0: And so tell us a bit about home dialysis and why you made that choice.
5: Yeah, well they when they they talked with me about the possibilities of either uh, peritoneal dialysis, which is one type dialysis, home dialysis is another, center-based dialysis is another, and I thought the home dialysis for me would give me the most flexibility of in time and more control over things. I'm kind of a controlling person. I like to manage things as much as I can right. myself. Yeah. So with the home dialysis, uh, I do it four days a week. I can choose the time of day. I can choose which days. Uh, so it gives me quite a few options and once I get it settled down, I'm hoping to go back to my part-time work and uh, get back in functioning and contributing to society.
0: So home dialysis, is that something that would be available to everybody or only certain people?
5: Well, oh, I kind of leave that up to the doctors, I guess. I know you've got to have a, have a nice water supply, right? a, a clean water supply. You've got to have power. You've got to space to store all of the medical materials they provide to you. So if you're living in a one-room apartment, it would probably be pretty tough. But if you're Have a little more space I think it's possible Um, but they they do a home assessment to see if it's possible if your space is okay they retrofit your house if it's needed Um, they provide a chair all the equipment Um, they've got people doing home dialysis all around the province and rural communities remote communities Um, so it looks pretty widespread but it it does take some attention Um, I don't think it's for everybody you really have, to, there's a lot of learning that goes on. They spent two months training me how to do this before turning me loose. Uh, and the training was extremely good. Lots of support from the doctors and the nurses to to make me as comfortable as possible doing it.
0: John, you're a retired university professor. I'm sure when, yeah. uh, I mean, you knew for 15 years you had some kidney issues, but uh, this must really affect your life in a, in a big way, I'm sure.
5: It, it is. It's taking control over parts of my time. I'm I mean, it's, it takes me about five or six hours a day right now just because I'm still pretty fresh at it. So, you know, that's that's a lot of time to give up uh, just to do that, to sit in a chair But the, while this goes on. Um, but the hope is that I can use my laptop and while I'm sitting there in the chair once I get comfortable with this. But, yes, it does take time. Uh, it takes attention, um, and it does limit some things. But I, I look forward to the days I don't do it And I'm always happy when I get done with my dialysis.
0: And it's World Kidney Day, John. Let's end with this. What did you want to say about kidney
1: health?
5: I think the main thing is for people to get routine physicals. Uh, I think the early diagnosis of this is extremely important so they can start treating it and managing it. So don't miss the physicals. Um, Get the urinalysis done. Listen to the doctors. Do what they say. I think also trying to control your diet Uh, certainly to try and avoid things that might lead to type 2 diabetes, a lot of sugars. Uh, I think uh, keeping salt down as well is important. And I think exercise would also be good too. So uh, just a healthy lifestyle and keeping in touch with your medical teams.
0: John, all the best and thanks for doing this.
5: Glad to do it and you have a good day now.
0: That is John Bond, a retired university professor here in Winnipeg. He is now heading off for home dialysis. He's been on that for several months. It's World Kidney Day, and that's why uh, we thought we would talk to John today. A new report says more than half of us can't easily, cannot easily follow Canada's new official food guide.
1: Researchers at Dalhousie University and the University of Guelph found more than 52% of consumers surveyed said they faced barriers in adopting the recommendations of the food guide released earlier this year. More than 26% of people found affordability a major barrier, while others cited taste preferences, lack of free time, and dietary restrictions. The survey also showed most people rely on nutrition advice from friends, family, social media, and cookbooks before Canada's food guide. Sylvain Charlebois, lead author of the report, said the results show a disc- connect between Health Canada's guide and the reality of Canadians' lives. Mike McDonald, the Canadian Press. So
0: that's a lot. Over half of Canadians having a problem with this new food guide. You heard the various problems there. But we thought we'd get Getty Stewart on, home economist friend of ours here at CJOB. GettyStewart.com is her website. Getty, thanks a lot for doing this.
6: Thanks, Hal. Good to speak, speak with you.
0: Yeah. So I guess the, the ones that kind of caught my ear, the bigger ones are, hey, I can't afford all those fresh uh, vegetables and, and fruits and stuff. They're expensive. So I want to talk about alternatives. And then the other one that I kind of chuckled at was, well, I, I don't like the taste of this stuff. But, <laughs> I mean, this is about preparing it and how you prepare it and recipes and stuff. So uh, tackle those two first.
6: Uh, for sure. I think, um, you know, as far as the veggies go, um, I, I think people are looking at the, the the new guide and thinking, oh my gosh, I need to do a major overhaul. I need to change everything. It's like, nope, just keep adding as many more veggies as you can to uh, to your plate. So just keep it simple, you know, get it in your mind that... The first thing you got to do is just eat more veg. And if you're finding it difficult to purchase those those veggies, uh turn to the uh frozen food food aisle, grab yourself a pack of peas and carrots or mixed veg, preferably without the sauce and the pasta already included, just uh, straight up veggies and add them to uh to your plate. And just the more you can add of those uh, the better off you are. And and we've got to remember, I mean these recommendations aren't just uh for fun, these are like if we want to get healthy, if that 's a goal of yours, um, then that 's what you need to do. We need to put a little effort into it, and we need to uh, get over ourselves and say okay let 's just do it let 's eat those veg. What do we need to do to uh, to make that happen um, I know for for low income families um, purchasing fresh veg uh, and fruit. Uh, maybe a challenge, but eating seasonally, going to the uh, frozen food section um, and just swapping out what's on your plate now are, is the way to go. Well, and then
0: preparation, right? I mean, you can you know throw one or two of these veggies on a plate colder, you can cook them. you can you know be smart how you uh, cook them and and you know again, be smart about the ingredients. But it does take some time to make this stuff taste good, right?
6: It it does. And, uh, you know, the one of the recommendations is moving away from processed foods. And of course, people are going to complain and and say, well, I don't have time to, to not rely on processed foods. But again, if our goal is to eat healthier, we know that processed foods aren't. Aren't where where it's at. We need to cook from scratch, cook at home, and prepare uh, prepare fresh whole foods. And uh, learning to use herbs and spices and in- ingredients like that, um, it's a skill, and it, it's something that we need to pick up. And I think the the food guide is. You know, most Canadians don't even use it on a daily basis, uh, but it is a good tool for schools, for organizations, for institutions to follow and for schools and, and our curriculum to figure out what should we be teaching kids. And so teaching them based on those kinds of recommendations um, is, is a good tool for that.
0: And this matters, you know, not even half an hour ago, we were talking to John Bond. He's a home dialysis patient. It's World Kidney Day. And he was saying, when I said, you know, what do you want people to know about kidney disease and, and World Kidney Day? And one of the things he said was you got to work at eating right because it can affect us in big, important ways as we get older, especially.
6: Uh, absolutely. And uh, that's that's the goal of this guide is we know proven over and time and time again that in order to be healthy, we need to drink water and not other stuff. We need to eat more veggies. We need to have a variety of protein sources. And I know the protein sources is what's freaking people out a bit. They think, oh my God, I've got to be vegetarian. Nope just eat a large variety of protein sources. We do really good on the meats and dairies, add some other proteins, change it up a little bit, and eat less processed foods. The high sugar, high salt, high preservatives and uh, are, are what, what's uh, contributing to, to some of our chronic diseases that, that we see. So uh, we know the answer. Um, the food guide is telling us the way, uh, and then it it takes work.
0: Certainly does, yeah. Uh, Getty Stewart, I'm going to give your website a plug again because it's great. GettyStewart.com and Getty is spelled G-E-T-T-Y, GettyStewart.com. But you know, uh, I have uh, kind of uh, lately been watching a lot of YouTube videos and one of my favorite YouTube types of YouTube videos is recipes. And uh, often... You know, it's as easy as flipping on a video or checking out your website or or finding a recipe out there, and you don't have to, as a a real uh, basic example, you don't have to have an expensive piece of beef, right, or another uh, meat that costs a fortune to get your protein. Beans is a really inexpensive source of of protein. So you have to substitute, you know, if obviously we're all on budgets and you've got to be, it takes effort, but it, it can work.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And if you're, you know, if you're wanting to convince your family or start slow, then, um, you know, start with your chili or your spaghetti meat sauce and swap half of the the meat with uh, lentils or beans or whole grain just for the texture and and get used to different uh, flavor and different way of cooking things. But, you know, stretch and extend, switching out switching out foods um, is a is an easy way to get into uh, choosing different protein sources and and adding more veg and adding whole grains.
0: Getty, thanks a lot for your help on this. I appreciate it.
6: Always a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Getty Stewart, Home Economist. Again, the website is gettystewart.com. <laughs>
3: It's holding steady as Winnipeg's number one substance problem year in and year out. But alcohol calls are not just the purview of police dealing with unruly teens outside of bars. Often, it's fire paramedics getting sent out, with someone phoning in concerns for the well-being of someone they've spotted outside. That can mean four, six, eight or more emergency responders attending to a single person who's under the influence, meaning they might not be available. To take your call.
0: Global News uh, reporter, Global News Reporter Diana Foxhall there on a ride along with the Winnipeg Fire and Paramedic Service. You heard the whole feature earlier on, and Diana joins us here now, along with a couple of very special guests as we continue with our series Uncork the Dark Side of Drinking from the Winnipeg Fire and Paramedic Service, Assistant Chief Jay Shaw and Deputy Chief Christian Smith. Gentlemen, nice to see you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for coming in. Diana, I want to start with you. What was it like on that ride along?
3: It was eye-opening, to say the least. Um, I know previously I had just thought that if there was some sort of call related to alcohol, that it was something that the police would pick up. They would just come and send the person to somewhere where they could sober up safely. But I learned very quickly that wasn't the case. Um, I went out with Assistant Chief Jay Shaw and uh, Deputy Chief Christian Schmidt, and I learned that Oftentimes, if it's a call sort of for check on the well-being of someone, that's fire paramedics getting the call and then going from there to wherever the person may end up, whether it is that safe sobering space, whether it's the hospital or whether it's getting someone to come and pick the person up. So fire paramedics deal with a lot more of these kinds of calls than I thought.
0: Yeah. And, and Jay and Christian, was that a typical night for you guys that, that Diana was, uh, was on?
1: That was a very typical night. Yeah. Um, And to add to that, it was extremely cold the night that we were out too. Which Which doesn't help, right? That does not help, and it puts uh, people at extreme risk as well.
0: Yeah, I was blown away. I talked to uh, Dr. Uh, Rob Grierson, who's the medical uh, director, um, and uh, he was telling me interesting numbers. The numbers he – and I've heard different numbers, but the numbers he shared with me is every time you're called out on a drug call, whether it's meth or another drug, that's one, ten or alcohol, like that's how lopsided this is. And you guys have even had to adjust your equipment and your your vehicles to be able to handle these alcohol calls, right?
7: Yeah. So I guess uh, part of your story, you you interviewed one of our uh, one of our acting lieutenants, and 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 we talked about the uh, sort of a redesign of our our rapid response vehicles, what we call squads. Uh, we used to have squads at. Uh, had what we call compressed air foam systems on them, uh, could do a multiple of medical calls, wildland fire response, other fire responses. What we were finding was we needed a vehicle that had a little bit more flexibility for the type of calls that we were dealing with downtown and and in our urban centers. Uh, So we were able to redesign some of those uh, through committee processes to be able to get vehicles that had... Um, the compartments inside of them for us to be able to uh, assess patients. We don't transport uh, patients w- with these vehicles, but our integrated service allows us to have fire paramedic service members uh, uh, with a with a lieutenant uh, ride out, and and the integrated service works for us w- w- with that model.
3: And I know, obviously, you mentioned the squad van is something that you certainly use often when responding to this kind of call, but. Obviously, you're able to call in other resources too, depending on the situation. Um, Can you run me through a situation where you might get police involved versus just an ambulance? I know there's different options depending on the case.
1: So, all of it is uh, solely dependent on the patient's condition. So, the paramedics will make the assessment based on their medical assessment of the patient. If there's... um, a medical need that that individual needs to go to hospital, then that is what happens. Absolutely, an ambulance will be contacted through the comm center and uh, the patient will be conveyed to hospital with appropriate treatments. In some cases, there is no medical need and it's simply a case that the patient is in such an intoxicated state that they can't safely care for themselves, under which that case the police service Uh, is contacted, and the person's detained under the Intoxicated Persons Detention Act, and they're uh, conveyed over to the Main Street project.
0: Back to, um, you know, the, the number of drug calls, the number of alcohol calls, I think that's been the biggest surprise this week for me, and I think a lot of our listeners have been shocked at the numbers too. Shocking for for you uh, when you got into this, or or were you fully expecting to be dealing with that many alcohol calls compared to drugs or or something else? I don't know if it's
7: necessarily uh, shocking when emergency services responders first get hired and they and they and they get into their roles, but mm-hmm. I I think what it is 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 it's not like the television shows. Uh, we deal with a variety of different emergencies. And 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 really, our our responders—both uh, firefighters, paramedics, firefighter-paramedics—their job is to use their skill sets and be critical thinkers. We can we can talk to you all day long about the calls that we hear about and, and the and the proud results where they use critical thinking skills to be able to solve unique problems when they get to a scene. So, um, uh, is it is it an issue? Al- Alcohol is an issue in the sure. city for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think it's uh, you know it's certainly socially acceptable at, at certain levels, and and I think that too is is surprising that you guys are spending as much of your time on this um, because it is a, a substance, uh, you know, that that is accepted and, and used widely, right?
1: It's a substance that uh, it's been around a long time. It's used widely. It's uh, legalized, and um, you, you know it. Um, it is addictive, and so some people uh, do fall into the, to that uh, you know realm of addiction. And, and the important part there is there needs to be the appropriate services available to assist those people.
7: And yeah. I w- and I would just add yeah. that, but I think this isn't unique to the Winnipeg Fire Paramedics right. Service. I would think that most urban centers across North America have this challenge uh, mm-hmm. in their emergency response. So uh, you know we get an opportunity to talk with other services across Canada and North America. And, I think this is is uh, something that we're all dealing with. Yeah,
0: we're almost out of time, so I'll, I'll let you guys say maybe uh, a final thought from each of you. Uh, you know, the series is Uncork, The Dark Side of Drinking. We're certainly seeing the dark side of it this week. Anything you want to get out there that maybe you don't think was in Diana's uh, package or that you think is important to to put out there to listeners of CJOB?
7: Well, first, I just want to thank CJOB and, and Global for or having your crews come out Uh I think we treated them well. I think we fed them, and uh, and and we're happy to to work and be able to and tell the, the story of the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. I don't know if there's anything specific that that we want to say, other than that, you know, we're out there every day working with our with our stakeholder partners with the with the Winnipeg Police Service, and 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 our paramedics and our firefighters are proud of the work that they do. So, deputy.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, Jay. I think uh, this story has raised awareness and uh, it's brought it to a higher level, so uh, that's a good thing. Uh, There are a lot of agencies out uh, within the community that are doing great work and, uh, you know, providing assistance to people in need. Um, As leaders uh, in the community, it's our job to make sure that we're working together collaboratively with all of these agencies And um, the only way we can do that is maintaining open lines of communication and make sure we're working towards the common goal. And that's uh, to help the people in need.
0: Christian, Jay, thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Diana, thank you. Great job uh, joining us here as part of our Uncorked series on CGOB Assistant Chief Jay Shaw and also Deputy Chief Christian Schmidt.